break my heart, I was too real. I ain't perfect, baby, but you were worse. I've been thinking, should I stay? See if you kill every bit of love that I got. Choo choo, we're back. Uh, had a bit of a quiet week um, in terms of podcasting. We were really busy this week, so couldn't get anything done. But we're back, and we've got a few people lining up. Some pretty cool people to jump on. Think you guys are gonna like it. So yeah. Just quickly want to drop in here that um, on Saturday the 21st of December, for all our listeners in the Mount Maunganui, Tauranga, Papamoa area, uh, we're going to have a market down at the Papamoa Markets. Um, that's Saturday the 21st of December. It runs from about 9am in the morning to 2.30pm. Uh, there's going to be some cool stands there. We're going to be selling our clothes um, at a good rate um, for Christmas presents, um, some good deals that are going to be going on. Um, you'll, see our, you'll see our store, you'll see our sign. Uh, we're gonna have a bit of a sausage sizzle there too, free sausage if you buy some buy some kits. So uh, get down there, make sure you help out, support. That's also an invite to uh, all our people out outside of the region. Um, make a day of it, make a make a trip down. A beautiful place. Uh, give yourself a reason to come to the beautiful Mount Maunganui Papamoa. I'll also chuck an extra uh, free sausage in there or something if you uh, take a photo of the store, chuck it on your story, uh, tag us, and uh, just let me know that you heard this on the podcast. And who doesn't love a free feed? Am I right? Just like any time, uh, I'm just going to ask that um, if you're listening, uh, wherever you are, please uh, screenshot screenshot the podcast, put it on your story, uh, Snapchat, Instagram, put it on Facebook, whatever. Uh, give us a tag, let us know you're hearing it, let us know that you're enjoying it. I love seeing where we're, uh, we're ending up in New Zealand and, and even the world, so uh, yeah, if you could do that little thing for me, that'd be awesome. I've had a few uh, close people come to me and say um, that I should uh, I should be doing a podcast um about myself because uh, I haven't really introduced myself and I think you know I'm, I'm five or six five episodes in and I uh, haven't really given you a background on myself so um, so today's called me myself and I and uh, I'm just going to give you everything about myself and um, yeah sort of just open up to everybody so uh, basically from the start I was born in Auckland my creation began when my mum was 18 um, it didn't come into the world until she was 19 uh, yeah, very young mother, and um, my parents at this uh, at the start went together. Obviously, wasn't um, wasn't a part of their plans at the start. Um, so I was living with my mum and her family. Uh, my, my nana in Auckland, um, she became a bit of a mother um, to me, and obviously my mum's brothers and sisters became like brothers and sisters to me. My mum's brother played uh, NRL for the New Zealand Warriors and the Kiwis uh, for quite a considerable amount of time. Um, and her other brother ended up moving to Australia, and my and his, and her sister was there. Um, her sister became like a, like an older sister to me. She was only maybe twelve years older than me, so she loves to tell the good old story about when I was dancing in front of the TV um, at a young age, and she was trying to get me out of the way, and I got angry, so I picked up the fork and threw it at her face, and uh, it stuck in just below her eye and nearly blinded her. Um, she'll talk about that a lot. The fact that I'd even laugh about that just um, shows you the kind of family we were. But yeah, we, we didn't grow up in the um, best of conditions, but I never went without during that time. And, uh, you know, looking at it now, I mean, I all I really remember is the days where I used to sit down in front of the TV and watch Dragon Ball Z with Uncle and um, eat the mint chocolate chip ice cream out of the tub when Mum wasn't home. So Dad also lived in Auckland. Uh, he came and visited me regularly. He'd come and pick me up and... Um, I'd, uh, I'd see him a lot, so yeah, uh, it was like that till I was about three years old, and um, when I when I turned three years old, I moved down to Mount Maunganui with both my parents, um, they bought a house, and 
back then it wasn't the uh the city it is today i mean it was so quiet and i remember i used to go still go back to auckland and see family and like if we went to church or something and people would ask oh where are you from and i'd say mount Wanganui, and they'd go oh oh where's that oh like close to tauranga and oh yeah i think i've heard of tauranga i mean now you'd say Mount Maunganui or just the mountain, and most people in New Zealand know about it and where it is and it's probably due to like how beautiful it is and people are only sort of just uncovering it but yeah like so I was in the mountain at about three years old uh started playing rugby as soon as I got there pretty much three years old played for the Mount Maunganui Rugby Club um yeah I was playing under like the fifth grade or whatever you call it, under fives and uh you know I was still so young that like would be playing a game my parents would tell me that I would see kids throwing a frisbee on the other side of the field and I'd sort of run off the field and go play frisbee with them during the game so I guess by saying I started playing rugby at about three years old it's probably a loose term so yeah I went up through the age groups um just playing my footy I went to St Thomas More Primary School in Mount Maunganui a little Catholic primary school Uh, I think we only had about 100 kids when I first went there uh, still friends with some of my um, some of my best mates today. Uh, we're in the same class and in our first year at primary, so it was a pretty tight knit community. Like it was quite small, so we sort of everyone knew each other, and um, and we sort of all grew up playing together and going to school together. And I remember the first uh, the first lunchtime we convinced our our primary teachers to let us play tackle rugby, and and we had to bring mouth guards. Uh, and it was uh, like two lunch times a week. We had to bring the mouth guard, and a teacher would have to be the ref in order for us to play rugby. Um, like we just played it because we loved it so much. And I mean, you'd think that young kids would get sick of something by doing it so much, but like I mean, we didn't, man. We just we loved it so much. It was just our it was our happiness really, and it was sort of all we knew since we were young. And uh, I mean, I, I think it would have got to I was about uh, nine years old, maybe. Um, and there were two Mount Maunganui teams and uh, we had a big rivalry we had a good rivalry and um boys that played for the other team uh, are still some of my best mates and I remember one day I called the coach or one of the coaches of that team Reuben Parkinson um and and told him that I wanted to join the team the next year and and he said yeah uh, of course mate and and come along to our trainings around at the at the local primary um just around the corner from my house so I used to sort of run down there to training Tuesday Thursdays and this is basically sort of where um my love for it really blossomed so I joined I joined the team went down to trainings uh our coaches were of high caliber even though we were about eight and nine years old uh both having played for Japan in the rugby world cup uh Ruben Parkinson and Steve Milne both played a lot of super rugby and they had us they had us playing uh proper structure at eight or nine years old so I mean we would come up against teams so we would come up against teams and like you know as expected everyone was sort of chasing the ball ball watching running around following the ball just be a big pile of people you'd see our team would be spread across the field um we'd have positions we had tactics we call it tnt which was touch to touch don't know why i call it tnt but we called it that and it would just basically mean we would go wide and we'd run to the ball and we'd go wide and we'd go wide and we'd go wide and we'd go wide until the team got tired and then we scored. I mean, we were taught how to clean rucks with proper technique at very young ages. And, and I mean, like, we, we were just family, man. And we, we'd train Tuesday, Thursday, 
we'd finish training and we'd stay there and we'd kick goals for hours until our parents made us leave or go home for dinner. We'd all meet at the at the school on a Saturday morning very early. It would have been around 7 o'clock in the earlier days. And we'd convoy to the games together um, with our parents. Uh, and then, you know, like my closest mates in there, we'd go straight from the games over to the Tauranga Boys First 15 game and we'd watch them and they were our idols and uh, we'd, we'd sit there and I still remember, you know, the likes of uh, Nathan Harris and stuff who were playing at that time and uh, and we'd, we'd go there, we'd watch the game, we'd walk down um, with, the, with the coins we had um, that our parents gave us, we'd go buy some sushi which was just down the road or Subway and then we'd go back, uh, they'd take us home we had a big field next to one of the boys' houses. We went out there and we just played touch non-stop, um, kicked goals over soccer posts and buildings and we'd keep going until it got too dark and we got told we had to come inside. And I mean, that was just sort of our lives. We just loved it. We lived and breathed rugby. And I mean, the next day we'd wake up in the morning and we'd do it all over again. So yeah, we lived, we lived, we lived so close, uh, just such a, you know like a tight-knit group and, and that's how we lived most of our our little childhood life uh childhood years and so I mean we got to about intermediate I went across to the Catholic intermediate school um which was also a college Aquinas college and uh spent two years there before deciding I wanted to um pursue my my rugby a bit more and and at that time Aquinas wasn't um wasn't well known for for their rugby um program so I moved over to, to Taranga Boys College in year 9, I uh, spent 3 years there until I was year 11, went through the age grades and uh, played for the first 15 there. Just before the end of year 11, I uh, decided to make the move to Auckland um, to St. Kennegan College and decided to finish out my high schooling there. So at the beginning of year 12 I started at St. Kent's uh, Presbyterian School in, in East Auckland and they were very well known for their rugby uh, and their rugby program, um, and to be very honest with you now, it was it was probably the best decision of my life, and and I don't regret a single thing. I I had a lot of remarks about uh, loyalty and uh, you just want to go to the big schools and all that sort of shit, and uh, at the at the time it was you know it sort of hurt me, but um. You know, I look at it now and it's like, shit, there was no, you know, I, I took the, the best opportunity um, that was at present for me and um, and I enjoyed every second of it and it made me a happier person and it made me the person I am today and for that I'm very grateful. So if you're not from New Zealand or uh, if you are from New Zealand and you're not really into your rugby scene, um, to give you a bit of a lay down, a rugby team is a very proud, a very proud group of people group of men or, or women and if you're to leave or or switch teams um and in this case in our case is schools uh that's sort of taken um quite emotionally by a few people and it's just the way it is man in New Zealand like we we love it so much that a decision that someone makes to make themselves or put themselves in a better position might not be seen that way by everyone else uh and that's just because everyone's so passionate about the sport and St. Kent's is a, is a school that um, has been in the media and stuff around what they call poaching players, uh, especially for rugby. I was in one of the articles I remember seeing uh, where my principal made a 
well, my my old principal made a bit of a a bit of a quote in the paper and said, "Oh, this one, this is something that hits really close to home." Um, we lost a player. Da, da, da. I'm not going to make a comment about what I think about that. All as I'll say is we have a bit of a stigma in New Zealand where we like to pull people down who are finding something that will better themselves. And I'm not saying that to everyone, but uh, it is a, a bit of a theme in New Zealand. And at the end of the day, it should be down to the decision should be down to the families and the boy or the girl who are going to be attending the school. Because at the end of the day, every student or or young person should have a should have a right to be able to go after opportunities that they see fit themselves. I've seen so many people from where I'm from have that have been given opportunities in more recognised schools having blossomed due to that one factor. And I'm not saying that you have to go to a big school to make it, and you absolutely definitely don't. I'm just saying that if a family or a person is is chasing an opportunity or sees that something something that they feel will benefit themselves, then they should be able to take that wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly without any repercussions. So... Yeah, that's just my view on it. Take it for how it is. But I spent two years there, played in front of some awesome school crowds, got an opportunity to play on Land Rover Festival Team Rugby um, quite often. We were lucky. We were lucky with the draws, and it was definitely a bit of a. Uh, it wasn't easy from the start when I went to St Kent's. Um, so I, I'm, I'm a halfback, and uh, when I first went there, I was so blown away by how big the school was. Um, you know how wealthy these kids were, and and the lifestyle of living in in a boarding school in Auckland, where everything's sort of done for you. You can sort of see how a sixteen-year-old kid can kind of get lost, uh, and that's what happened to me at the start. A man I really respect, uh, Tyler Vere, was the coach of the first fifteen there. I had a pretty well-known game um, in Tauranga Boys versus Gisborne down in Gisborne. Uh, we played on TV. Uh, I was fifteen at the time and. Um, we had a we had a penalty to win the match, um, almost straight out in front of the post, five meters out from the line, and I tapped and goed, and I got tackled, and uh, eventually the ball got turned over and we lost the game, and you know I got I got nicknamed Quick Tap for that. It was a pretty depressing bus ride home. I sort of uh, was lying there on the field and then went off and went into the changing rooms, went into the shower and was crying and um, got my stuff on, sat in, the, sat in the bus and just sat there and didn't really talk the whole way home from Gisborne, which is it's a good six-hour bus drive probably. And I met with Ty and he brought up that game and he said, uh, what, was, what was going through your head in that last play of that Gisborne game? And, you know, my, I went numb like I was like, shit. Like he knows about that, and I just said that, you know, I wasn't really paying attention to the, to the scoreboard, and uh, I was looking to have a dart in that gap, already before the whistle blew, and I saw him put out advantage, and I was ready to just go, and I thought I could beat them in the five meter, um, and that's sort of what that's sort of what was going through my head, really, not nothing much more, and he he praised me about it and said that, um, oh, those guys was offside. You did the right thing. You backed yourself and you made a decision. He said our current halfback threw an intercept pass um, after the final whistle and we were ahead. And they went the full field and scored and beat us. And 
at that point they were on a 52 winning streak so anyway he said to me I went up to him in the changing room and he was he was gutted as I'm sure you were too and and he said to him don't stop throwing cutout balls passing is your best part of your game and if you stop throwing cutout balls then I'm going to be pissed off and then he turned to me and said so don't stop tapping and going and it was crazy because I had literally never heard anyone since that game say something positive about that play. <laughs> so anyway, as I was saying, I was I wanted to play touch at the start of my first year. Um, we were playing manhunt um, up in the boarding house uh, just before dinner. And I jumped off one of the decks and I rolled my ankle. Ty found out about it and made me go see the physio. The physio took a look at it and said, uh, you're not going to be playing this weekend at the um, Auckland Touch Comp. So I went, uh, wasn't playing, uh, sitting on the sideline watching. And after the first game, I was getting too frustrated um, about watching. And I told the coach I wanted to lace up and, and he let me put my boots on and, and jump on. And anyway, I was playing. Um, Tyler Vere, his twin actually coaches uh, King's College. Last game of, of the day, we were playing King's College, um, up rocks to Cecil Lavere. I shook my hand and said, ah, oh, I heard you weren't playing today. And the first thing that went through my head, oh shit. Walked into morning training on Monday, uh, 6 o'clock in the gym. Ty calls me out onto the balcony and, and says to me, I'm not only here to ensure you get your schooling right and I'm not only here to coach your rugby ability but I'm also here to take care of your well-being and if a professional tells you that you're not fit to play you do not play and if I had done something serious it could have really hindered my rugby career so he dropped me uh, within my first four weeks at the school uh, told me I had to trial for the second 15 that week um, and I wouldn't be training with the first 15 un until he let me know. One week later he brought me back in, uh, played the first one or two games off the bench uh, and then I got myself back into the back into the nine jersey and we went through an awesome season uh, playing in, a, in Eden Park at about, with about 15,000 people there. We lost about three players to ACLs in the one game, Braden Enor being one of them. Um, Young Sully Tukania, uh, Wesley Tamifuna, all doing ACLs in one game. Um, and this is at a very young age of high school, so definitely not good. I ended up at fullback. I uh, didn't know what I was doing. All I can remember is hearing Ty behind the dead ball line yelling at me which way to run. But we won. Um, we won the Auckland 1A. And we ended up going on to top four nationals. And we, we unfortunately we lost uh, in the semi. We took the next year as, as a pretty personal year, especially us um, going into our last year. Um, by the end of round robin, um, we were a full firing team, and and we took out we took out Mags in a very close game, who went on to win nationals that year. Uh, the following week, we played Sacred Heart, and we unfortunately lost a home semi. And I just remember I wouldn't take off my jersey after the game. Um, our manager Salty was telling me to we had, we had to get our kit off and I didn't want to take it off because I knew I wasn't putting it back on again. And that is like the feeling of, of high school rugby for, for young boys. 
man, it's just so much pride and passion within the game, and especially St. Kent's, man. Like, I can't talk about it highly enough. We had such an awesome culture there. We were all family, and to this day, we all still are. But yeah, there was definitely a guttering moment. Uh, went on to, luckily enough, make the New Zealand schools team that year. Uh, we played Fiji and Australia in two tests, and um, we beat them both, uh, winning the school's title. Midway through that last year of my schooling, I, I signed a contract down in Wellington for two years, somewhere I never actually thought I would end up. Like, I mean, I think I'd been there once in my whole life when I was when I was a kid to go to the Beehive and to come out of school and find out that I'm going to be going to Wellington. Like, it was it was it was a daunting thought. So I moved down there early January, uh, got into some training down there, uh, also got into a bit of study. Uh, I was lucky enough to make the New Zealand 20s camp. Um, I took on a big load at university, um, not expecting to make that team, and somehow I made the cup for the Oceania tournament. Uh, So we were over there, and not really knowing how it worked, I I dropped my I dropped all my papers for university and really wanted to focus on making this team uh, for the World Cup and fortunately I injured myself and put myself out of contention and I ended up finding out a few weeks down the track that I had um, torn my Liz Frank and that put me out for a few months so I was out for most of the club season so here I was a young eighteen year old boy um, in a foreign city with no family or long-term friends um, down there with me, no familiar faces, to put it that way. I was injured and I couldn't play rugby, which was really what I was there to do. I dropped my study, so I decided to start a little clothing business, um, took that on for a while, um, got a bit of a part-time job, um, just hanging around for my 10 Cup season. I uh, got to about August and I and I joined the the Lions team. Um, we assembled and uh, I played for played minor ten that year, and also went to under nineteen nationals with Wellington that year too. So yeah, it was an awesome year. We ended up winning the championship that year. Uh, we had a really strong side, and after finishing that, spent the summer doing preseason with the Hurricanes on a training contract, and was lucky enough to be selected into the twenties camps again. Went to Oceania again the following year, and unfortunately, I again missed out on the World Cup, uh, and this time not due to injury. This sort of threw me into a, and sort of a downward spiral, and you know I was so gutted I didn't make that team. And I remember talking to one of my boys who also didn't make that team, um, who had been at Oceania the year before with me, uh, Sharan, which I'll be getting on the podcast later on. Man, we would joke about, like, pretending we were on the plane and shit. Like, it sounds dumb when I say it now, but, like, boys had to go through Doha to get to France, or, um, and I'd seen that, you know, it took 17 hours or whatever it took to get to Doha, and, like, we were sending each other Snapchats, like, um, writing Doha at the bottom of our Snapchat, like it was a filter, and saying, like, long flight to Doha, only seven hours to go, shit like that. But really, it was sort of just a a way to mask like how gutted I really was. Yeah, and I and I faced some mental challenges down there, um, which I've talked about before. 
won't dive into too much depth about that in this podcast, but we got into Mitre 10 again, uh, playing for Wellington, uh, and you know I think I had a more enjoyable season that year, got um, a lot more game time than I did in my first year, and yeah, I ended up going home after that, shooting home for for the summer, uh, joined the Bay of Plenty Sevens team, uh, ended up getting called back down to, to Wellington to do pre-season with the, with the Hurricanes again, and I just sort of decided after that that I really wanted to be closer to home, that was one of the reasons why, you know, mentally I wasn't, I wasn't there at that point in time, so, uh, yeah, I made contact with the Wellington coach and said, uh, you know, I really respect you and, and everything you've done for me, but uh, I think in this at this point in my life, I need to be closer to home, so I really need to find my happiness again in order for me to find myself on the field and, and play better footy. So, yeah, the Waikato team welcomed me with open arms. I went to uh, the Hamilton Marist Rugby Club. Uh, they really helped me settle in. Spent the year playing for Marist, uh, just training for Waikato and uh, doing a bit of part-time study, which as I've mentioned, didn't really uh, work for me, didn't really enjoy it, so while in Hamilton I found myself again, found my happiness, got to shoot home and see my little sisters and see my parents a lot more regularly and met an amazing young girl, Ayla, who's now my girlfriend, enjoyed a pretty awesome season with the Mulu boys, unfortunately we didn't get the results we wanted to but I think we really showed in that season what we're capable of. And like we had a pretty young team, but I mean, you, we had a lot of boys who really put their hands up for for high honours and warranted um, further things in their career. So, yeah, nearing the end of that might um, attend season, I decided to pursue this thought that I've had all year about um, reigniting my clothing line, um, and this time with a purpose. And if you haven't listened to my previous podcasts, um, to put my name in perspective, uh, 138 is the street address to my house that I've grown up in, um, in the Mount, and to this day still contain the most important people in my life. So I'd also been getting into podcasts, um, the likes of The Ice Project and Gary V and uh, Adi Savia, and I knew I wanted to do it as well. I knew I could echo information that I'm receiving from these people for you to learn as well and I can also give um, you know boys a platform to to express themselves and I guess market themselves and give themselves a branding all going well this podcast reaches a lot more people and these boys will not only be able to help me by jumping on my podcast and attracting people I mean they're helping themselves by whether they have a story to tell um, that they want people to hear purely from themselves or they just genuinely want to grow their personal brand. And by personal brand, I mean building themselves as a brand. And I'm going to speak in rugby terms because that's all I really know currently. Boys who are well-known in the rugby scene uh, are well-known in New Zealand uh, based on purely the fact that New Zealand is such a rugby-driven culture and while they have leverage, they should be using it. While people care about what they actually think, while people want to know shit about them, while people will actually buy something off them because they have a name, they should be using that. People and businesses pay a lot of 
people that they would call influencers or ambassadors to do that very thing. These guys have unique opportunities where they can do that themselves for free. You have an ability to influence people in ways other people can't. The only problem with that is it's not going to last forever. So I want to give these boys an opportunity to grow their own personal brand so people get to know them, know their story and let them teach people because there are a lot of relatable things in sport and things that people can use in everyday lives. And I'm not just going to interview rugby or sports people. As I said, this is just an example, but my advice to those people with leverage right now, use it. And if you don't have leverage right now, either create it or find people who do. And if you need a hand on finding people who do, keep tuning into my podcast, man. I'm going to give you as many people as you want. So I'm going to wrap it up there. Uh, bit of a 30 minute run about myself. Come on. Just wanted you guys to be familiar with the voice that you're going to be hearing um, and who I actually am. And I hope you guys got some sort of value out of that. I got some exciting podcasts coming out, man. So I just can't wait for you to hear them. If you can do me the one favor that I ask every time and I asked at the start, please, please, please screenshot this podcast, put it on your story, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever, tag us at underscore 138, let us know you're listening, even flick us a message, tell us what you want to hear on the podcast. I love hearing where my voice is getting to, so man, we had over 3,000 streams in the first nine days that this podcast was up, so that's all thanks to you guys who are helping me by sharing my stories and sharing my my podcast on your stories. So please keep it on. Uh, also, I've got a Christmas deal. Um, we're giving away a t-shirt and a crew neck uh, as a package for $99 using the discount code Xmas. That's X-M-A-S. $99 package. Thanks for tuning in. That's me. Later.